This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced at WGN Radio with the clinicians and staff from Rosecrans. I'm John Williams from WGN Radio, and in this podcast, we'll visit with Leah Scanlon, Director of Aspen Counseling and Consulting, and Elizabeth Ellison, who is the Clinical Director of Rosecrans in Chicagoland. The thrust of this podcast is, when the stress of everything becomes too much, then what? Ladies, welcome to our podcast series. It's nice to meet you. Good to meet you. Thanks so much for having us. Uh, Leah, let's just start with you, Director of Aspen Counseling and Consulting. What do you do? Well, as the director, I'm providing day-to-day you know, oversight of uh, operations within our private practice clinic. So we have a multidisciplinary clinic that offers outpatient mental health treatment services, so psychiatry, counseling, um, TMS services for depression. And what is TMS services? Uh, TMS is transcranial magnetic stimulation. It is a, an FDA-approved treatment for uh, treatment-resistant depression. Folks that have tried numerous antidepressants, psychotherapy, maybe uh, ECT, and some other more um, you know, complex means to treat their depression and haven't had a response. So what does this do? Uh, TMS uh, seeks to alleviate uh, depressive symptoms in patients with major depressive disorder. Yeah, and we don't need to go into too much detail here, but how do they do that? Or what do you all do when you do do that? Uh, So we offer the treatment right in our office. Uh, It's uh, typically a a six-week treatment where the patient comes daily, five days a week, uh, for a 20-minute treatment session. It uses electromagnetic energy to treat depression, similar to an MRI. And it is been effective, huh? It is, yes, very effective. Is business, have you seen more patients and have you seen more patients <laughs> in your practice as a result of the sort of collective trauma we've all been going through since the pandemic started? Absolutely, yes, 100%. And um, our competitors as well. Um, everybody is just sort of inundated with new inquiries, referrals, folks that have never really sought out treatment for mental health uh struggles before and are now um you know just sort of at a point where they feel isolated they feel completely overwhelmed um, depression and anxiety of course is probably the chief complaint yeah. that we get but um i think more than that um, a lot of what these collective stressors have done is really triggered um, some trauma response in a lot of folks that maybe have had um, traumatic memories or events and you know the way that we tend to process um, things that that happen that are distressing to us um, a lot of those those symptoms and those feelings you know really mirror each other so it can really bring out some symptomatology that that wasn't there a couple of years ago. I want to talk to you about that trauma response in a second, but Elizabeth, as the clinical director of Rosecrans in Chicagoland, you must work with uh, several um, facilities then? Yeah, I supervise the clinicians who work at throughout seven Chicagoland locations in the suburbs and the city of Chicago. And what do you do for them? So I provide the clinical supervision to our clinicians who are providing the mental health and the substance use therapy, and I just do case consultations and help them to understand the interventions that they're using with our clients. Who's the they? The patients themselves? <laughs> our staff, our ther- our licensed therapists who are and delivering the clinical services. For instance, what would be an example of a reason you would be interacting with your staff? 
So they might seek me out to t- uh, tell me about a complex case that they're working with. Um, as Leah mentioned, we're seeing a lot of folks in our clinics um, that are dealing with the stresses of the recent years. Mm-hmm. And um, in a lot of our clinics, a lot of uptick in substance use. So they might seek me out to say like, hey, I have a client that's working, that's really struggling with their substance use. It doesn't seem to be getting any better. What can we do? What What are the next steps? And we'll just kind of have a, a conversation regarding what can we do? Do we have some more tools in our toolbox to help that um, client who is struggling or do we need to refer out to a higher level of care? And I presume you would mirror her um, observation that business is up. There are more people seeking care. Yeah, there really are. A lot of issues going on with increased stress, substance use, mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's just the people that are seeking help. I would imagine there's a population of people that aren't even coming to a Rosecrans too, huh? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And then, so so I wonder if we can quantify it. Is there any estimate in your field about how many people are uh, traumatized or struggling these days? Is uh, wh- how, how would you qualify it? I think one of the recent um, statistics that I saw, and it's I would estimate that it's on the low side, was that um, almost fifty percent of um, of folks that you know have been asked have reported that they struggle with significant. Um, symptoms. So, you know, we're talking, and and when we say symptoms, of course, we're talking about, you know, what's the difference between somebody that um, is that is struggling but managing day to day, and then somebody that um, is really at the point where help is likely needed. And so, really, the threshold of that, I think, that we um, sort of universal in the field is, you know, how impactful. Are those feelings and symptoms in your day to day? Are you able to manage, you know, basic daily living tasks? Um, are you uh, having a lot of difficulty with emotional regulation? Because that can be incredibly impactful. And so that then typically translates to um, the need for services. Um, and usually we, I think folks tend to start with outpatient more often than not, but um, it's usually, you know, the inquiries that we get, it's typically family members that are kind of pushing them into, hey, you know, something's going on and we're really concerned about you and this isn't how you normally act or behave. And, um, you know, we really think you should see a therapist or a psychiatrist. And so sometimes, you know, it's um, it it kind of uh, sort of a jumping off point and then it Elizabeth, how do people um, come to you? Is it they call about themselves or do they call about somebody they know? So a little bit of both. We certainly have folks that are calling that are struggling, that Leah is kind of talking about that fatigue, folks that are really struggling to get out of bed and it's impacting their work and their family relationships. So they will call us um, to seek out some help. We also have family members that will call. We have schools that will call and refer students who are struggling at school. Um, So it's really... Kind of across the board. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that uh, this election and the election before, uh, heck, 2016, <laughs> 2020, 22, maybe 2024, as it's on people's horizons, uh, that must be a stressor for them. COVID-19 since, uh, what, March of 2020, mm-hmm. right, has been a sort of unending layer of stress, regardless of where you are in this um, virus's path. Uh, the incidents of mass shootings do seem to be ever on the increase. Um, Highland Park in the Chicagoland area, uh, as we record this today, we're just a, a day away from another mass shooting mm-hmm. uh, downstate. And then, obviously, Uvalde, and the list goes on, right? Um, 
so let me to say nothing of the war in Ukraine, et cetera. And I don't mean to just drum up bad news per se, but it does seem like we've had a raft of it lately, right? And and answer this. We always have a raft of it. So is it more problematic now than it has been in the past? Is it arguably more difficult for people to process these things than previous crises? Yeah, I think it has been more difficult because of social media um, constantly putting it in our faces. So we're seeing, um, like you mentioned, the mass shooting and um, COVID. We're seeing a lot of it, and we're checking our social media so frequently throughout the day. Um, so it's we're just the exposure to all these events is so much more than maybe in the past. Right. So maybe it's not the totality of events, but the immersion in the news of the events. Yeah, right? that twenty-four hour news cycle and and the. Com- Pounding of each new thing that happens, and um, you know, I think one one of the things that we tend to see is, um, I think even a couple of years ago, if you would have told somebody maybe as a coping mechanism, we might have recommended, you know, unplug or walk away from what you're doing, and and that could have meant that they were scrolling their social media or they were on their phone doing something, and now that that even adds fuel to the fire. I mean, that exacerbates that sort of, um, you know, I I check my, my social media page and now it's another thing. Breaking news, you know, breaking news here, breaking news there. And sure, so, but are you saying that uh, unplugging creates its own kind of anxiety does, because you absolutely. worry what you're missing? Exactly. Yes. Yes. It's, um, it's, it's sort of this, this level of anxiety any, mm-hmm. anywhere you, you try to, to go to seek Right. You know, seek we need to learn detachment to, from that. We need to learn to unplug from unplugging. It's like another <laughs> another right. another layer of disconnection that right. we need to get to some sort of neutral state. Uh, although, as you ladies referenced a moment ago, the pandemic is kind of the game changer in this. Right. It's. I mean, the. I think the the number of inquiries, you know, referrals just for outpatient mental health that we received. And the chief complaint is just isolation, relationship difficulties. As we know, there's been a huge uptick in the need for relationship and and marriage and family counseling, because a lot of families, couples were sort of like thrust together, you know, isolating, quarantine, working from home together. And, um, and, and that creates its own dysfunctional dynamic at times. But you know the folks that are seeking treatment um, with us. It's this um, feeling of, and I, th- I think you know, like Elizabeth touched on, the social media does add to that that feeling of isolation um, and uh, just sort of the the things that I would normally do to maybe reach out and and you know social engagement and try to um, detach from some of the things going on anyway under the surface are not at my fingertips anymore you know and and especially at the height of the pandemic everything was closed you know and places that um if you did like going out in public or you know just trying to to be with friends and family you couldn't do that you know we had to cancel holidays we had to cancel proms and graduations and all sorts of you know kind of milestone events and that was very very difficult for a lot of people. But we're emerging from it now, aren't we? 
We are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We what we're seeing, too, is that folks are emerging from this. We've been Mm -hmm. kind of um, staying away and isolating, as Leah mentioned, for the last two years. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to come out and that's proving to be a little bit more anxiety Mm -hmm. um, provoking as well, because folks are coming out and wanting to really make the most of their time. So we're seeing big crowds places and that's mm-hmm. kind of causing mm-hmm. some anxiety for folks and folks that really want to make an impact with their plan. So even if it's just going to a zoo or mm-hmm. going to an amusement park, people really want to make the most of it. And it's kind of causing some stress for mm-hmm. people to be like, all right, this is our, we haven't been out in two years. We've got to really make the most of this experience. Mm-hmm. And that's adding to the stress people are seeing. Yeah. But when do we, all right, so, so what about that? I mean, sure, everybody feels that. It's natural to feel that. There's nothing dysfunctional about that impulse, if you ask me, is there? No, stress is normal. Stress mm-hmm. has been here prior to the pandemic, certainly. Mm-hmm. I think there's been some heightened stress due to the combination of all the stressors that we're seeing, as you mentioned, like the Highland Park event and the, and COVID and climate change and what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, like it's just so much and it's piled on so thick right now and it's kind of heightening folks' stress to Mm -hmm. all of that in combination. I wonder if people would feel a little, um, uh, if they would feel that their call is, if what they're feeling doesn't sufficiently warrant a call out to a Rosecrans because, yeah, that's the world everybody's living on and as you said, stress is normal. So when does somebody have you know, kind of a legitimate claim to then reach out and get help? How do I know that um, I need help or what I'm going through is, is unusual? Well, and, and it's when we talk about when all of this becomes pathology, so to speak, it's really that um, it's – kind of going back to impacting our day-to-day routine our sleep is thrown off our you know those things that are ah. our regular patterns and sort of habitual um, comfort um, activities or schedules that we have are completely upturned and i was actually talking to one of our therapists recently she works with a lot of um uh older teens younger adults adolescent population and some adults and we were talking about just some of the kind of standout issues that she's working around with a lot of her clients. And she said the number one, um, you know, stressor, number one um, complaint, if you will, is that they just feel stuck. Um, We have a lot of these, you know, younger folks that um, maybe due to lack of employment during the pandemic or they're having trouble sort of maintaining employment, maintaining um, social relationships, that sort of like failure to launch um, that we that we hear, um, you know, they're stuck living at home with mom and dad. Um, they're not really getting out. They're not uh, maintaining or seeking out, you know, new social relationships. You're describing young people generally? Yes, here? young people and, uh, you know, young adults. Uh, and um, I would say... Uh, you know, folks in their 20s, 30s, even. The um, number of people I know who are my age in their 60s who have their adult children right. living with them or somewhat dependent upon them. Yep. And it's something that the parents are happy to provide as best they can. Mm-hmm. But right. it's it strikes me very much as the norm now, where it does, previously it wasn't. And it's changed. I mean, it's changed the vision and the expectation for you know, for the parent, the, for, you know, the, the aging parent um, and their vision for what, you know, retirement 
might look like and it's like well now i've got a full house again right or you know they may they may be taking care of grandkids on top of that so yeah there's there's so many different you know complex family dynamics that tend to sort of push um folks into seeking help um that at at least where where we are and the folks that we're serving Mm. what would you say about all of that yes i would agree i think that every generation is being affected just a little bit differently i have a college stage niece who is a freshman went off Mm -hmm. to college this year and many of her friends had a lot of anxiety about going away and wanted Mm -hmm. to stay at home like you're suggesting you know some folks that um have older that emerging mm-hmm. adult living at home um so that's definitely happening where folks are getting nervous to mm-hmm. to leave the home and and i think even as as a parent myself a lot of these events have triggered this anxiety where like our protective shield over our children have, have been threatened a little bit so sometimes i even find myself mm-hmm. being anxious to like let my kids leave the house too so um i think it's affecting all generations very differently. But I, but again, um, you know, you started to touch on something, Leah, that made me think, okay, so stress is normal. And of course, we all have these anxieties, even in the best of circumstances. But now, am I short of breath? And now am right. I not sleeping? Now am I um, right. smoking marijuana again? And I, I thought I gave that up years ago, right. or, or whatever, I don't know. But I mean, those would be the pathologies that, that we're, we're talking about. Those would be some of the, the flags for me. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and no, I, you made a good point. You know, um, s- the symptomatology of, of depression, anxiety, uh, you know, trauma, sort of reemerging trauma manifests physically. Absolutely. And in, in um, some pretty significant ways. So, yeah, a lot of um, uh, panic disorders, you know, that we're seeing. So folks that are having panic attacks, but they're bringing themselves to the ED thinking they're having a cardiac episode. Right. And so um, when that's happening, two or three or four times a day, uh, that's that's likely a red flag that we we maybe want to reach out and start uh, the process of out, at least outpatient uh, services to see, you know, where we're at. And um, typically uh, at our clinic, we like to have folks start working with a therapist first, then they can see a, a prescriber if they need to. But in many cases, you know, they come in thinking they need medication right away and they may start working with a therapist. They learn some coping techniques. They learn some strategies, um, some some sort of cognitive reframing and, and thinking about um, some of those triggers a little bit differently. And sometimes that's enough. Yeah, I was just going to ask, is it sometimes something simple enough to um, – do we lay on a couch when we do this or do we sit down and just kind of talk about here's who I am, here's how I'm feeling, here's how I'm feeling now, right. am I okay? And then you say, right. yeah, everybody's doing that. And then the recognition of that yes. for some people might be helpful. Exactly. Sort of the normalization of – yeah, there's you know there's millions of of other people struggling in the exact same way, and um, I think that's why group therapy uh, inquiries and enrollment in group therapy um, at at either clinics or you know and like um, Elizabeth site or some of these residential sites sites is off the charts because people want to know that they're not alone. They want to feel validated. They want to feel understood. They want to hear somebody across the room say. Um, or voice, you know, what's in their head and exactly what they're worried about and what they're stressed about. And when they hear that, um, it's really very affirming. And it's certainly not, um, you know, it's not going to be mitigated in one session, but it's, I think, enough to sort of instill that little flicker of hope, you know, and that um, that this is 
I can recover from this. I can manage this mm. effectively at some point. Especially, Elizabeth, I'm thinking because, okay, <laughs> these, are, these are my issues, but there's going to be another cloud. There's going to be <laughs> another war. There's going to be another something. Yep. So mm-hmm. I suppose it's not just getting through today, but tooling me up to get through tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We want to try to help people um, learn the skills and the tools to be able to get through tomorrow as well, not just mm-hmm. today, like you're saying. So mm-hmm. like Leah said, joining um, a group where you're not feeling alone it is so helpful in building that social network of support so that when you are having a crummy day down the road, you have a group of folks to rely mm-hmm. on and be able to talk through. And that helps alleviate some of that um, isolation that we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. on. Well, is there any woe is me out there? Does anybody just need a kick in the butt? I mean, you know, this is the stigmatization maybe that we spoke about in previous episodes of On Your Radar, this podcast we're do, series we're doing with Rosecrans. But previously, we addressed how people are afraid to address or acknowledge their issues because they'll either be judged or there's a stigma around it. But I just wonder, where's, where's the backbone of folks? goes the thinking that's Mm -hmm. not mine but Mm -hmm. i just wonder if you see that and and how do you address that well (laughs) you know and yeah that can be a, a bit of a touchy subject i think that um generally you know yeah there may be some folks that maybe they just need to come in and talk to somebody a couple of times to feel like okay this i just needed to, I just needed somebody to help but formulate you're not, but, a plan. But, but there's no judging on your part, right. is there? Mm-hmm. No, no. Because, I mean, we've all we've all been there, right? We've all had, um, you know, and sometimes it's incredibly situational. You know, uh, when we feel distressed, when we have an acute stress reaction to something. Um, you know, just me coming here today, I'm like, I parked Parking. at the wrong hotel. I, wa- I had to walk, you know, in the pouring rain oh my gosh. across the river. Plan a wedding to, to come in the in last here. six months. Right. Lay, lay yeah. that oh on gosh. there as exactly. well. Yeah. And or, you know, having a baby or, you know, any sort of, you know, big life change that, you know, even a couple of years ago seemed a little bit less... <laughs> Um, heavy as it does now but yeah that's a nice way to put it you know i think um you know ultimately the best thing that we can do i think is what we've always advised folks to do is to is to seek support when they need it and i feel like um that's one way that maybe social media has taken something in a positive direction i think in in the area of mental health care i think it's become so much more normalized now you know that it's always hashtag self-care and um you know hashtag i go to therapy you know and so i think it's much more um you know it's it's i think it's less stigmatized actually to seek out therapy these days than it ever used to be oh i i, I would acknowledge um, that yeah and that, so that i right. i think that's that absolutely contributes to the folks that um you know maybe they called this week and said hey i'm trying to find a counselor i haven't been to therapy in 6 years you know but i've really kind of hit a wall um and maybe 3 years ago they would have not made that phone call, you know, not uh, picked. And there's so many other ways that we can access these services, too. It's not just necessarily picking up the phone and calling and scheduling an appointment. You can do it right from your phone. Um, and Schedule so, the appointment. You can right. actually get oh, the there, therapy yeah, there's, right, there's on a platform as well. Therapy apps, right. So, um, you know, so to to increase the access and to increase the ease of access, I think, has, has made a big difference. Um, 
you know, whether you're getting quality services, you know, that's probably a whole nother conversation. But uh, I think that, you know, it really speaks to the um, the movement, I think, that has happened over the past couple of years that has seemed to have kind of, you know, um, run concurrent to the pandemic, um, because these, uh, I think the the need for mental health treatment has absolutely exploded um, due to uh, the pandemic and just the compounding of of all of these other things happening over the last couple of years, and so a lot of groups um, and have really started to, you know, flow that direction and address that need better. And I think John, you made a good point too about seeking out a therapist. Um, we don't know you, so mm-hmm. um, not having any judgment or bias. Mm-hmm. It, it helps the conversation, helps the healing too, mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily get when we're talking to our friends or our parents who maybe have um, an idea of what we should be doing or how we should be handling a certain situation. We don't know our clients, so it's mm-hmm. easy for us to operate without any judgment or any bias and create that warm and welcoming environment. Right, without any bias, because your parent or your classmate or somebody <laughs> may make judgments about your stamina or your mental health because mm-hmm. you were fine last week, right. but you right. may say, I don't feel fine this week, and I need a neutral right. source to go to or place to go to about that. Exactly. And I suppose people listening to the two of you talk then, it it must be just this very conversation I hope would be somewhat comforting to them to go, me too. You know, wow, I, I thought it was just me, or I mm-hmm. thought I was weak, or I thought I was falling apart, but right. this is a probably a pretty common phenomenon. And again, it's... It's all of these events, mm-hmm. but but the damn pandemic uh, yeah. really does seem to have just exploded. It was not something that any of us have ever had to deal with. We all went through it together. Yeah, this was there's no frame of reference, and it's you know it's difficult because it's you know we're all I mean uh, Elizabeth and I talk about this a lot. You know we're both moms to little kids, and you know we're just so caught up in our kind of day-to-day like just trying to get through the day with two toddlers (laughs) you know and um and it creates it creates this sense of guilt i think at times like i feel like i should be doing more i should be contributing more i should be more worried about that um and you know there's this sense of like are we are we desensitized now to a lot of these um distressing things that kind of come up one after the other um, and, you know, I, I think there's a, a concern that are we getting less empathetic um, about those things? And so that can be itself a sign that um, that it might be a good idea to to seek some kind of help, mm. you know, whether it be counseling um, or a group or, or something of support, because that's really one of the first signs of burnout um, and a f- reiterate that a sign of burnout. One of the first signs of burnout is is, is j- becoming really apathetic, right? I mean that we apathetic. just right that we we don't uh, we lose our sense uh. of um, empathy for others, compassion. You know the capacity to feel uh, like we you know we care, and it's it's hard to say. Well, I I can't care about everything. I can't be, I you know I can't be emotionally invested in everything. Um, distressing that happens in the world Um, but all i can do is is try to think about what can i do in my own backyard at this point and so you know i live in rockford 
And, um, you know, there are some people doing some wonderful things there for folks in Rockford that are struggling, um, you know, homeless folks that are struggling with substance use. And so um, I contribute to those organizations. And, um, you know, I, I try to, um, to donate to those groups. And so that's the piece that I feel like is within my control. And, and ultimately, that's where a lot of this comes from, is just feeling like we don't have control. Does that become a coping um, mechanism? Even though I can't stop the war in Ukraine or slow the pandemic, I can make a mm-hmm. small contribution Absolutely. that at least makes mm-hmm. me feel like I'm not checked out. I'm still right. in the game. Right, you know? yeah, the Roe v. Wade, you know, that was um, something that I was talking to one of our therapists about a couple of months ago when that was um, had just been handed down. And, you know, we were talking about just encouraging clients to, you know, write their their politician um, and, you know, try to um, empower, you know, folks to make them feel like they have a voice and use that voice um, for the good and to support the, you know, initiatives and the things that they want to see happen um, and make them feel safer. But would you ladies also say that the one of the points where you say, okay, uh, it's good to know I'm not alone, and I, with maybe just modest acknowledgement and some therapy, I can get through this, I can power through this. Mm-hmm. But if you find that you're apathetic, that the malaise makes it difficult for you to feel, even on a personal level, people or things, n- n- now we've taken a step further, mm-hmm. and this is maybe a red or flag, if you will. You really sure. do need to treat this seriously. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of times that extends to, you know, that starts from within, but then the folks immediately surrounding us, right? So we have, it It makes us, um, it, it makes it a little difficult to parent our children and to, um, I think, think logically about the, the people in our immediate circle and how things impact them. And when I think when we find that, we're not as, uh, yeah. We're not as empathetic and compassionate towards the people in our immediate circle that we love and that we, um, you know, we interact with on a daily basis. Um, it's usually, yeah, it's usually time that we need to take a step back and kind of reevaluate, um, you know, what it what it takes to to move forward. Um, and you know, there's so many plates spinning for all of us. There's so many things that we're that we're juggling and. Um, you know, one of the techniques that I've always used with clients is, um, you know, sort of making a, a physical checklist of, you know, what is what is on that plate and actually put it in the shape of a plate and what can be pushed off, what can be removed. Um, what, what would the, what what would the slices now? on that plate look like? Like, is it my kids, my job, <laughs> Absolutely, the yeah. news, right. uh, the kitchen sink is leaking and it's making me crazy? <laughs> right. I mean, the car's about to, yeah. Car's mm-hmm. about to conk, you know, I'm about to, you know, I my job is not secure or I hate it or... Um, okay, but yeah. is the job to fix those things or literally remove them from the plate? Well, I don't know. I don't know necessarily fix, but I think the, I think the job is to evaluate the priority. Right, um, to figure out like really what's in our control because right. that's what leads to the burnout or the mm-hmm. emotional fatigue that you were just talking about is when we feel like the right. world is just spinning and we have no control mm-hmm. over all of these issues that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Right, so Ukraine, even though it's on the plate, is something that I should not let be too much of an energy suck for me because mm-hmm. I can't fix that. Right, I, That's obviously that's um, 
that's something that if I spent six hours of my day um, researching and, and looking up ways to uh, contribute to you know the, the war in Ukraine, and, and yes, it's obviously incredibly distressing and heartbreaking, but it's um, the, the priorities in our daily lives are, are all very different. And for folks that you know, I have um, I have a friend that is that's her native homeland, and so that's probably more a bigger slice on her plate than it is for me. Um, you know, and we talk about that, but um, you know, but ultimately we can only control. Um, you know, well, we can't control people. All we can control is how we perceive you know messages and how we respond. And that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, but that's obviously easier said than done. But that's what what therapy uh, is is really um, a skilled therapist can really help to hone in on. Um, you know what what are some better ways that I can manage that? Um, well, do people? Uh, pardon me. Sometimes come in. And maybe this is a question for you first, Elizabeth. And they say, "I don't even know what my problem is. I don't know what's on my plate. I don't. I. But I. I don't know the causes. I can just tell you the symptoms. Is that where it starts? Absolutely. And our our goal as therapists is to just try to reduce that symptom um, to whatever we can to help that client manage the feelings around that symptom. Yeah. And typically, um, when we actually when we meet with a new client for the first time, um, our uh, therapists will typically do a diagnostic evaluation. So they're really taking a full history um, of you know what led you to this point, you know what brought you in here. Um, and so a lot of times, even if they don't really quite know what led them there, uh, maybe if they were pushed into it by a friend or a family member, they're at least able to. Um, to talk about and and typically can be a good historian about some of the, you know, maybe past traumas, um, you know, family environment and and how they grew up. And a lot of times that kind of helps, you know, lead lead us in the right direction. It's interesting because the things we're talking about Mm -hmm. are so contemporary, Mm -hmm. but you would would say, tell me about your childhood and not tell me about your day well and that absolutely plays into how we respond right you know i mean um somebody that grew up in a in a very uh, abusive home you know maybe had a history of abuse maybe was a foster child or maybe had yeah, but a what pit. if they did what if they grew up in a loving household mm-hmm. and had good meals and education and so on and so forth and then we take stock of that and then we you know we move on to to the next piece but typically um, there's something there that has shifted that has caused, you know, whatever the distressing issue is when the when the client is is presenting for treatment. Hmm. Um, and usually, more often than not, they're able to pinpoint it. But sometimes um, there might be more complex, you know, um, behavioral issues going on, or like a thought disorder or something like that that they may not be as clued in to mm-hmm. what the with their perception of the problem. <laughs> well, our next podcast is going to give the listeners in the On Your Radar series more specific coping mechanisms, but I think the two of you have addressed some of those for us here anyway. But I'll just ask you that as we go, just any last thoughts about having identified these stressors and the symptoms, 
the complexities of it, and the simplicity of it, for that matter, at times. Mm -hmm. Any general advice for the people here now about coping mechanisms? Yeah, I think we we talked a little bit about building that social network of support, which is so huge, being able to reach out to folks you depend on. Um, Little things you can do to every day, like exercise, really helps to boost our mood and can also disrupt some of our thought pattern and serve as a little bit of a distraction. So exercise, a little easier said than done, but getting in some, being able to, you know, get the... um, Act, increasing our activity level can really help. And I think also just really cueing into our senses is really helpful. Um, listening to a, a song that we enjoy mm-hmm. can help to boost our mood. Sometimes for some, it's different for everybody, but petting animals mm-hmm. can um, help boost our mood. Mm-hmm. Playing with babies, um, <laughs> having a sense of purpose um, can really help. What would you say? Uh very similar uh, concepts. I think that um, you know we we typically um, encourage folks to um, yeah if they if there is a trusted friend or family member that they feel that they can talk to and to say you know one of the big uh, campaigns recently is the okay not to be okay and just to say I'm yeah things that haven't been going too great lately um, not feeling like myself and uh, just starting there I think that really helps open the door for the conversation because it's not it's not really granular you're you're just sort of um, kind of dipping your toe in to see what kind of response um, you get but uh, absolutely you know reaching out to even you know come in for one or two sessions with a therapist to kind of help figure it out if they don't feel like um, they want to share, you know, some some cultures, some uh, um, age groups don't necessarily feel it appropriate to share, um, you know, hard things and, and specifics about what may be going on or what may be distressing. And so um, sometimes it can be incredibly useful just to have, you know, you know sort of a objective ear mm. and help make sense of those feelings. You know, who said that to us recently on the radio at WGN was uh, Joey Pants, Joey Pantoliano, the actor, and he has um, combated his mental illnesses and seems to be winning, but Mm -hmm. he... He's happy to tell you about it, and he's happy mm-hmm. for you to tell him about it. He's mm-hmm. he very much wants to say it's okay to struggle. I mean, mm-hmm. who's not? Mm-hmm. And these days, it sounds like um, many more than in the past, mm-hmm. which is why I think uh, the two of you have been so helpful to us today. Leah Scanlon, the director of Aspen Counseling and Consulting, it's a division of Rosecrans, and Elizabeth Ellison, who is the clinical director of Rosecrans Chicago Lab. Ladies, nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much, This is On Your Radar, a podcast series produced by WGN Radio and the doctors and clinical staff at Rosecrans. With over 60 locations throughout Chicagoland, Northern and Central Illinois, Wisconsin, and Iowa, getting help is just a click away. Go to rosecrans.org. Rosecrans, life's waiting.